Welcome to the Modern Miss Mason podcast. I'm your host, Leah Bowden, and over here we learn from, celebrate and lean into the teachings of educator Charlotte Mason, whilst focusing on how they truly impact a 21st century expression of childhood, motherhood and education. Welcome to another Modern Miss Mason podcast. Today I'm sharing the second half of the workshop on numeracy and literacy within the Charlotte Mason philosophy. It's been great to hear your feedback so far on how much it has helped you. So today you get the second half of that. I'm actually writing this brief script whilst hosting a space that we have as part of the collective membership and we call it the Bronte Room, a place to write, reflect and share. I'm sat in my homeschool room at my desk, but I'm sat in a virtual space with many other mothers, other ladies who are giving themselves permission and the opportunity to take time out to write. Some of them are in kitchens, some are sat in living rooms, some are at their desks, but we're all writing. Some people are journaling, some people are catching up with their commonplace book. One lady was using the time to write reflections and memories from time with her children recently, and it's just a really incredible space. The Bronte Room is just one space that we hold over on the collective, and for $4.99 a month, you can access group coaching, supportive workshops on home and education, a book club and the room which I'm in right now, which is the Bronte Room. You also get instant access to the Charlotte Mason and Box course, a whole year of workshops from last year, as well as the audio experience from the Charlotte Mason Conference 2022. So I hope you'll join our growing global community. It really does have a unique feel to, to be able to step away from the squares and scrolling of social media, but still find true, authentic community in a digital space. So click the link in the details of this podcast or go over to my website, leahbowden.com and sign up today. Okay, here we go, the second half of our workshop focusing on literacy and numeracy in a Charlotte Mason philosophy. So so this is so we talked about lit, the foundations of literacy being reading and repeating, repeating being this form of narration. And it begins with an oral form and then and I've got a whole workshop on this as you guys know, I will link to it when I send you the um when I send you the, the replay out um, and then repeating is narrating in, in various different ways. And as you know, this can be creative. It can be, it can be Lego and, and Play-Doh and all these kind of things. And even though that's not necessarily speaking or writing, it is still forms the basis of literacy because it's a form of expression and expression in all its forms helps embed a child's uh, helps embed a child's literacy skills so really think about it wider like that so I'm just going to jump in I can see there's some questions here I want to make sure I, I don't miss anything um, from the live audience um, yeah Carol's saying I hadn't thought of it that way I do tend to be a quiz master which I think frustrates yeah Carol so it's you're not quizzing them and you're not trying to stump them out uh, and that again we have to check ourselves on that when we are asking our children for narrations always go back to why does Charlotte Mason uh, why is this so key to the philosophy it's because it's because she wants them to dig for knowledge to make it their own and if we are quizzing them and kind of finishing their sentences or asking specific questions that we are bringing them onto our agenda and we're essentially lecturing and teaching them um, now obviously if they're making really stark 
you know, if the story you've read was set in Vienna and they say it was set in Italy, then then just, you know, say, hey, let's just look at where you think it was. Let's write it on the board and let me show you on a map the difference of that. You know, just gently and in a nurturing way, help them understand the difference there. Because you do sometimes get it of Vienna and Venice. You know, if you're doing Shakespeare stuff, we used to get them mixed up all the time. Um, but you're not trying to catch them out. You're not being a quiz master. You're enjoying like listening to Danielle. I was enjoying what she heard and her take on it and how she felt about it. And I, I also was really captured by the moon lit night. So bright. You could read a paper by it and nobody knew what was actually going to happen. And even when it was still happening, the moon was still shining. I mean, and this is, I mean, these are not like, that it's not really been pulled together by writers this is people who were there so i i love that too um emily's asking what question would you recommend asking to get the narration started if i've never done it before so that my child doesn't feel intimidated by it really good question emily um i would just i would always um make sure they understood what was going to happen even before I start reading. So you guys may have heard me say before that there's no expectation without an explanation. So before you start reading, you say to the child, I'm going to read. I'm probably going to read for, and I, I know with my kids, they like to know how long we're going to be sat reading for. Like it might take three minutes, it might take five, or I show them it's, I'm going to read these two pages. And um, then I will say to them, I'm going to read it once. And because it's really good and um, I want you to pay attention or I mean, you know, I want you to listen really carefully, however you want to word that, um, because when we finished, I want to hear what you think. I want to hear what you what you know, what you felt about it. And you could just make it as general as that to start off with, just to really start and, and think of it as um. If children think of it as I want to know what you think, that is, again, inviting them into the story. It's you're not testing them or quizzing them. You're just going to talk about it afterwards. And if this is the first time, I definitely use that kind of language. So you do the reading, put the book down and um, and you can say, so what you know, what did you what did you think or what did you hear or tell me about the story? And um, I think if you start with you know terminology like tell me back what what I just read a lot of children were like but you just read it so you must have heard it why why do you want me to say it again and I'd be the same I'd be like why <laughs> but actually giving children the the understanding and opportunity to 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 add their voice to the story I think that's so powerful so what happens is even if you ask something like what did you think it actually begins a narration and um, you can say and then you can start to go and what else what else happened uh, is there anything else anything else you want to add and what you'll find Emily is that actually what is coming out is a retelling um, and so what I would start to do if I was doing this all over again starting from the beginning and I probably did do this a little bit is I would just jot some notes on that or even quietly record it on my phone just so I could get used to that and just so that we could hear what was coming out but um, I mean, you can ask the most bizarre open question and actually what comes out is a narration. Um, yeah, which I think they are the great beginnings of just getting kids starting to talk about books. My children have, um, they've never not known narration, but I have, I could count on one hand in 16 years, the amount of times I have asked for a narration. I have used the word narration. I just use all sorts of different ways Um you know, of just saying, hey, let me tell me. I mean, sometimes I will say, tell me back what I've what I've read. But there's always an explanation, always an understanding of this is what's going to happen. If there are difficult words and spellings, put them up on a board, uh, a piece of paper, blackboard, whiteboard, whatever, and then do the reading and then have a really lovely time of talking about it afterwards. And you don't have to drag it out. I mean, some kids go, you know, do talk a lot. And some will say like one sentence. And this is just to say this um, is that if you get a one sentence and everybody freezes up, you do the narration just as an example. 
And I, w- I wouldn't just wrap it up and walk away. I don't, I've never really done that. If they're really struggling, which is kind of rare in our household when you've got everybody chatting away. But if they are, I mean, that's often a telltale time that um, it's often, if they're, if they're not narrating, it's often because they didn't listen, they're distracted, or it's really the wrong time of day. They need a nap or a snack. <laughs> and those things are real, aren't they? You really have to assess all those things. But I would, if that was the case, I do the narration. Um, Sarissa, how do you handle narration with multiple children? My children get frustrated when their sibling steals what they're going to say. Um, yes, yeah, so thank you, Emily. So yeah, what I would say, I've done lots of things over the years. I would have a jar in the middle of the table with all their names in. And if we do various narrations throughout the day, uh, they would pick their name, pick pick an, um, a name out of the jar and whoever's name came out would go first and then they'd go in that order. So there's a real you know system to it. And I would say it doesn't matter if they say the same thing, doesn't matter. You know, the jar tells us who goes first or I would do it in age order, either youngest first or oldest first. But I would, again, there's no expectation without explanation. You've got to say it. You've got to know what they're thinking. You've got to say to them, look, everything we say is brilliant and important. And even if your sister says what you're going to say, it's still worth saying again. And, uh, you know, and just encourage that, celebrate that. But yeah, my kids used to do that. I was going to say that. (laughs) all right well let's move on from narration this has been a really helpful conversation and um and then the third thing so reading repeating which is narration and recording and this is where we get into written skills copy work transcription um written narrations prepared dictation composition all these wonderful words all form the bulk of um literacy in the Charlotte Mason philosophy. And there is a real beautiful sequence to it, which starts with one letter and ends with one essay, <laughs> a very big one, where however long, however far you go. And there is this progression to it that actually makes sense. And it's all in um it's all in relation to the living books and the living experiences and the resources and the hands-on stuff that they're doing. It's all a, a response. So their written literacy or their oral literacy is all a form of response from the stimulus that you have laid out for them. So that can be everything from, um, you know, drawing a daisy or seeing a daisy in the garden. It can be reading a a nursery rhyme through to a chemistry lesson or watching a Shakespeare play. All those things in all forms of literacy are a response to a stimulus, are a response to something that they have heard, experienced, seen or lived. And this is, um, it's really a powerful way of understanding it. So you've got another R there as well. Look at that. Um, (laughs) Reading, repeating, recording in response to that living stimulus. So from the very beginning stages, now there is another kind of myth, I guess, within the Charlotte Mason philosophy that Charlotte Mason never used textbooks. It was all, and you even will find people kind of producing and we'll, We'll jump into numeracy in just a second, but you'll find people um, producing um, math maths curriculum based on like living books. So you, you know, you're counting how many um, animals in a particular book on this kind of thing, which is good and fun and creative. But that's not what a living that's not what living maths means. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But you almost find that sometimes that people are trying to have this um there's a misunderstanding of what actually a living literacy and a living numeracy means. And um, when we come to recording as a response to this, this looks in many different forms. Again, there is this, uh, oh yeah, that's what I was saying. There was a misunderstanding that Charlotte Mason never used um, textbooks, but we can see from many of the PNU programs that there actually were um, simple textbooks for things like grammar, when the kids got older, when children got older, and there would just be like a mastery page a day kind of doing grammar lessons. So what I would say is don't be afraid of using something. 
I mean, goodness, if you've got a bunch of kids and a whole lot of lessons to get through, you need to help yourself, don't you? You need to find ways to equip yourself. But this is my thing about, um, you know, any kind of math curriculum, literacy curriculum, anything like that is you be the boss of it. You know, you get to say how it's how it works, make it work for you rather than being a slave to the program. So, um, you know, often these programs are like you've got to get through it in half a term. And you're I do hear people saying, I haven't got everything finished. We're going to have to rush everything. I'm like, who's the boss of who here? You know, why is this teacher's manual suddenly being this becoming this stressful thing to you? If you need, you know, if it's helpful to you to have a book that helps your children go through grammar or, or um, handwriting or copy work, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you're still honoring the child as a whole person, doing it at their pace. Um, again, we'll get onto this with numeracy, but there's a maths, online maths program that we use and you can hide uh, what year it is, like the grade and everything. So they're not seeing that, which is brilliant. And, um, you know, you completely can do it at their stage. So things like that are really good be the boss of the program don't let it be boss you around i think that's really important like don't be afraid of finding the right tools to help you in a season with your children but at the same time don't be a slave to it but at the same time you can where you want to you know use live passages from living books for copy work you can use i mean children from lots of interaction with books being read to and reading themselves, they will learn spellings and grammar and sentence structure. And it's I'm amazed at some of my kids, how they just know how to form things because they've been seeing it through their reading for years and for, for years and years and years. Um, but I, you know, but then I will do alongside all that, I will be kind of making sure, do you know the difference between where, where, and where, and there, there, and there, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so you can use um, a, a textbook or some kind of curriculum to help you with literacy, but you also at the same time, are, you know, it works great to be able to form your own stuff if you have the capacity and the time and the creativity to do that. So, you know, copy work, looking at living books, looking at real language. If you want to do spellings with your children, don't do them in isolation to a book, to a story. Um, you know, at right at the beginning stages of my home education career, um, I did do spelling lists for my kids. And, you know, they could get them right and get 10 out of 10, but there was no context to those words. And they never kind of really fit with, their, with the rest of their world. So I stopped doing that. And now I do things like prepare dictation which takes words from books that they love. And um, again, I can, this, the details of breaking down how these things work, it's all in my Unbox course. And I think we have it, I'm gonna look through my workshops and I will link to all that um, in, in the replay email when I send that out. I'll just hand those out for free guys. If I've got workshops that cover all this, you don't have to pay for them. I will give, give you them all. Um, I want you to have them. But if you are signed up to the workshop bundle, you'll have them all there anyway. Um, just because doing a prepared dictation lesson now could take us for the rest of the time. But um, so but use living books, use real literature. Don't do things. Don't do lessons on grammar and spelling and all this kind of stuff in isolation from literature, in isolation from what's real. Otherwise, again, it becomes stale. It becomes this kind of functional, um, you know, they, they can kind of tick the boxes, but there's no meaning to it. Um, so for instance, I will explain very briefly what a prepared dictation is. If I had time, I would do one with you, but I'm going to just explain it to you. So a prepared dictation, usually children around nine or 10 would do something like this um, if they're ready. And this prepared dictation is great for, you know, grammar, sentence structure, kind of spelling, um, all those kind of skills are, are, are really tested in, in, this, in this exercise. And what you would do is take a paragraph from a beautiful book. And uh, for, for a long time, I used uh, Chronicles of Narnia because you've got some good, good vocabulary in there. 
um, and some good speech and dialogue. And you would try and find a paragraph that had some words that would challenge your children that maybe would be difficult to spell and a little bit of dialogue in there as well, just to kind of challenge um, when you're reading it back to them. And what I would do, you can find those online. You can find book passages that you can just copy and paste. This is how I do it anyway. I'm going to tell you this bit. So I would find a packet, a, a, a paragraph, copy and paste it onto a, a Google Doc and print it out and give it to said child. I then sit with my child and say to them, okay, we've got, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna study this passage or you are gonna study this passage. I often give them a highlighter and a, and a, you know, a pencil and so that they can really study the passage. And what they would do is read through the passage and look for any words that they can't spell. If they don't understand them, they can look them up and they will really look at things like, um, you know, the, the sentence structure. So they're studying it and they're going to pull out the words that they can't spell. And, and you know, again, I get them to write on the piece of paper and work them out. And I with spelling, we teach visualization. So this also applies to times tables, which we're going to do in a moment. So visualization is you tell the child, tell your child to look at the word. So say if it is um, the word quiet, you would they'd write the word quiet out and they would look at the word and just kind of go through every letter quietly in their head and then close your eyes. You could test this yourself. It's a great one. If you're watching on the replay, press pause and have a go at this. So then you close your eyes and ask you, I would ask the child, can you see the word on your, you know, behind your mind's eye, whatever you want to call it. Can you see the word in your head? I'll often say to my kids, like there's a blackboard behind you, behind your eyes. Can you see the word? And if they say no, I say, open your eyes, look again at the word quiet. So you're going through it. Okay. Close your eyes. Can you see it? Yes, I can see it. Open your eyes, try and write it you know, without looking at the other page. And that's just spelling, learning how to spell with visualization. It is so quick. It works a treat. Try it out if you've not tried it before. So they learn all their words. They may take 10 minutes. They may take 20, but you don't do the prepared dictation until they are ready. So you are you ready? Do you feel like you could write this out? Yes. So you take away the piece of paper, give them a, give them their notebook, and then you sit in front of them and slowly read the passage out. Don't repeat it. Read the passage out slowly and they, they write it out as you're reading it out. Now, when we first start doing this, when just as they're getting used to it, I will say comma, semicolon. You know, I will actually use those terms with the children. As they get older, I stop doing that because they needed to have done that as part of their study. And that is prepared dictation. What you would do afterwards is go through it with them. So I look at it with them afterwards and we just look at it side by side. If there are any corrections they need to make, they would just spend a few moments studying those. Again, if they admit, if they, but honestly, I can tell you um, that the, the, um, the amount of times that they have spelled a word incorrectly in those times is so few because we don't do the prepared dictation until they are convinced they are ready. And it just, it's this whole idea of paying attention, zooming into that short amount of time and saying, this is the time we've got. And it, again, I mean, she was right when she said this, when you know that's expected of you, you do do the work. Again, try it yourself, have a go yourself at something like this. It's such a good um, way of, of, of kind of examining what we're doing to our children, what we're helping them to do. So, so then you do that, you look at that together and then you might, you know, do another one the week after. But that's prepared dictation. And that really is a fantastic way of helping your children learn how to spell and in grammar. Um, if you've got any questions on that, please pop them in the chat. And I am aware at the time I want to want to talk about numeracy. So reading, repeating, recording in response to the stimulus. It happens in many different ways. We begin simply and intentionally. We begin with one letter, with copy work, with understanding, with learning to read. 
and we gradually add to it with our children at their own pace. Remember, they can create their own snowball effect if things happen quickly. Sometimes I am amazed, like overnight, well, not necessarily overnight, but within days and weeks, my kids have picked up on a new concept that I really think that was nothing to do with me. That all came through their reading. But stay consistent. Remember, the goal is growth and care. Do they care? Are they growing? Doesn't matter how fast, doesn't matter if they've got extra shoots coming off them. But are they growing? Is there advancement? Is something changing here? Uh, then that is good. And, and that is, yeah, you're moving forward. Okay. That took, I mean, we went deep there. And I think that narration was wonderful, that exercise. But I do want to cover numeracy, of course, as well. So numeracy skills, my three, uh, my alliteration for numeracy skills are seeing, saying, and solidifying seeing saying and solidifying um from charlotte mason in volume one one of her very early uh, bits of advice for when your children are very young she says this a bag of beans counters or buttons should be used in all the early arithmetic lessons and the child should be able to work with these freely and even to add subtract multiply and divide mentally without the aid of buttons or beans before he is set to do sums on his slate. So again, this idea of embedding something, having mastery in a certain area before rushing on to doing something else. We can be so quick to buy a program and get them started on a, on a, you know, a certain, getting through maths, making sure they know stuff, when actually the advice is here they can really grasp a lot from, from playing with those buttons and beads. I mean, I had a wonderful experience with, uh, we were around at a friend's house um, sometime, you know, in, in the last couple of years anyway, in the times when you could sit in somebody's garden during the pandemic. And their little girl must have been about two or three. And she was bringing me, um, I think they were damp, small damson fruits from the garden and she was kind of kept bringing them to me and counting them out in front of me and the, the, you know and we she started to just interact with me and um, she was lining them all up and then I'd take one away and then she'd do more counting and then we'd put another one to it and she just naturally you know we were playing we were hanging out as families but children do love to be tactile and use things and you know how they naturally will walk up the stairs often and count the stairs or they're you know they're counting their cheerios in the morning or whatever it is well it's it's kind of using those in the very early years now some of you here have got older children so you're like yep we did that um but just for those of you who've got younger children don't feel the pressure to rush ahead and move on when they are still struggling to understand groups of two or groups of three with cheerios or groups of three with buttons if they can't grasp it on the table with a handful of beads then why do we think they can grasp it on a computer program or on a you know in a book don't worry about sticking in that in that you know using those manipulatives and there are so many things available that you can buy but there are also so many things in the garden that you can use so there are lots of things in the kitchen and in the garden aren't they pasta all those things don't feel like you've got to spend a lot of money we had we had little to no, no budget uh, for homeschooling when my children were little so we accessed everything we could to do that counting and holding and, and making sure they mastered those things before we moved ahead with any other concept <clears throat> charlotte mason also says this um let his arithmetic lessons be to the child a daily exercise in clear thinking and rapid careful execution and his mental growth will be so obvious as the sprouting of seedlings in the spring she loved her um her visual illustrations around nature didn't she but you know keep things short keep things really clear, keep things um, intentional. Um, you know, so even things like times tables practice, we do five minutes a day. If you are intentional about you, the way you do times tables practice, and I'm gonna show you a way to do that in a moment, um, you're intentional about it and you to write five minutes a day, you're gonna spend practicing this 
they will grow and they will begin to execute it. And you'll see that growth happening just like the seedlings um, here. I'm just going to jump into the chat for a moment. Uh, my eight and 10 year olds have learning challenges. Is it okay then to keep using manipulatives? I've been trying to wean them off. Absolutely, Carol. I think the, um, the thinking here is, and what Charlotte Mason's advice is, is like I just said, if they can't grasp, if they've not yet grasped it and mastered it, um in a kinesthetic way then then really when with this there wouldn't be a huge expectation for them to grasp it um you know from a computer screen or from a notebook unless you think they would respond better to that so i would say um why are you weaning them off are you weaning them off because it feels like they're too old for it then i won't worry too much about that and i would keep them on it but if you feel like they would respond to and something else then have a go at something else absolutely but if it is a case of they they've not fully grasped those concepts yet keep going with them um yeah for our family um we call them strategies and always always have them available absolutely lauren that that's how i would have them on hand I, I found it hard to part with the little bears that we used to have of all different sizes but that's really good. I think in having, you know, this is this is the stuff, isn't it? Is that we are just like we were saying about the literacy skills. We're not trying to catch our children out. We're not laughing at them because they got something wrong. We're not trying to quiz them. We actually want to nurture that growth in them. We're equipping them, and we are gently coming alongside them to find what they need. Doesn't matter how old they are, how quick they get it. You know what stage everybody else is at. That doesn't matter. Like, how can I help? How can I equip you? Make this learning stick, and also help you find joy in it and to care about. It. I mean, you know, again, let's go back to our two things. Charlotte Mason and said the sole end of education is growth and she said it's not how much they know it's how much they care so how do we cultivate that in literacy and numeracy well we don't you know we don't take things away too quickly we don't speed them along we don't have high expectations when it's not their capability we walk alongside them we equip them for the stage that they're at and we encourage the growth so i would say you know really observe your children understand where they're at understand their learning style sometimes it might be that they need to need to adjust something because it's not their learning style and that's that's good and that's the right thing to do but if you're moving on quickly because you feel they're too young for something then i would say no that's you know that's that's about you more than them and i would go back to um using the hands on stuff so okay so so we have our, our guidance here in, in numeracy is seeing saying and solidifying so very much about visual learning just like with the spellings charlotte mason was an advocate of visualization when it comes to learning uh, making learning sticks so so visualizing so just like you would take a word um to visualize and can you see it in your mind's eye when you close your eyes you would do the same thing with with numbers um so let's take times tables for instance so i'm going to talk you through how how um a really great way and sort of using charlotte mason's um methods and ideas how you can teach your children their times tables or how can they can learn them themselves so i'll do that in a second but the, the seeing first, the visualization, and then saying. So doing or, um, oral lessons. So just like they would do oral narrations. And this is where the method is so consistent all the way through. But with maths, we're very quick to find a program. But here we go. Can they see it? Yes. Okay. Can they say it? So can they actually say two add, you know, two plus two equals four? Can they say six plus six equals 12? You're actually verbalizing because it's using a different part of the brain and it's layering up. I see it and I can say it. And then the solidifying, I've put in my notes here, I've put another S, but I like to do things in threes, but I've put staying. So seeing, saying, I put staying in brackets, which basically means don't rush on until they've mastered it. Don't worry, worry about the speed of it. We keep coming back to that over and over again until they understand why two plus two equals two <laughs> equals four 
get my maths right. Until they understand why, if you put two of those and two of those together, then you get four of them and they can see it and they can say it, then don't move on to three plus three, for instance. And solidifying then the final point is then, you know, they've mastered it. So they can do this now. So you'll do a few of them. You know, you can see this is happening. They're narrating it back to you. They're telling you why they know it's, it, this works and teaching it back to you. And this is solidifying that learning in themselves. Um, just a quick tip. If you are using a program, um, again, I will say this, do not let it be a slave to you. Whatever you can do, whether it's online, whether it's uh, in a book or whatever you're using, you be the boss of it. You you kind of you um, guide the timing of that and the process of that. Um, but I also would say one brilliant thing, especially with older children, I do this all the time with my kids. I they will they will do a lesson and I'll sit with them and they've mastered something. I, my youngest daughter was doing um, whole numbers minus fractions the other day, and it took her a while to kind of figure out how to do it. And then we talked about why this happened. And at the end of the lesson, I said to her, okay, pretend um, I have no clue, pretend I am an alien, pretend I've never seen this before. I want you to teach this to me. And, and it took her a couple of goes because she was kind of like, well, you know, you just do this, this, and this. And I said, no, I, I have no clue. I don't know. You need to teach it back to me. And so I got her to teach me the lesson, took her a couple of minutes and she, she could see it kind of was like, oh, actually, if I teach it to you, I know that I understand it. And again, that's a really simple way of using the philosophy and the methodology alongside a program that is helping you at the moment. So, you know, your kids might be getting through lessons and I think then just sit alongside them when they're like, hey, I got 100% brilliant tell me why tell me how to figure this out and get them to tell you back teach the lesson to you so just a little tip there if you are using programs if you're using a book or a computer program make it work for you don't let it be a slave to you be the boss of the program um okay let's have a look at how you would teach times tables a really great way. So you can get apps, you can get them doing songs, you can get YouTube videos, but I'm going to sell you, show you a really simple way of just doing this visualization. You know, um, can they see it? Can they say it? And then and then solidifying it. So you basically just get. Um, I actually use notebooks with graph paper in, but for this, I just didn't grab that in time. So I've got this, and you basically would get your child just to draw out a grid with um so you you know what a grid looks like i'm gonna this is gonna look so rough because i'm rushing it and i've not even counted it properly but basically you know three down and then all the way across so one two let's see how many lines i wrote you could do this on a piece of paper now if you want for five six seven eight nine oh i got to ten that's fine okay so one to ten all the way across and then this middle box here is whatever times table you're doing. So we'll do two all the way across, two all the way across, and then obviously the answer. So one times two is, thank you, two, two twos, four, six, eight. I hope you're all doing it there. 20. Okay. Very scribbly, but that would be all you would do on a, on a, on a graph piece, a piece of graph paper, they would write out the time two times table. Now um, what you could do is the best way to do this is to do it in pencil, or you could do it on a whiteboard where you can rub stuff out. And what you, the first thing you want to be looking at is visualization. So again, you're asking your child to look at it and to really, um, you know, maybe say it out loud, they're kind of saying it, seeing it and saying it, and then closing their eyes. Can they see the numbers behind? Open again, look again, you know, do that exercise a few times. Now, for tonight, we can't do this because I've got, I've done it all in pen, but if I did it in pencil, what I would then do is rub a few of these out. So just rub a few out and then get your child to then fill it in again. And just a few things like that. I'll just cover a few up, you know, cover one or two up 
and then get them to fill it in, get them to finish it off, and then even draw the whole grid out again and get them to fill it out again. And it's this repeating of seeing and saying, which then solidifies the learning. And five minutes a day, you can, you can get through so many, learning the time tables in that way is brilliant. And then, you know, get them saying them as well. So once they've written it out again, then you can close the book and say, okay, tell me the, the two times table. One times two is two, two times two is four, three times two is six, rather than going two, four, six, eight, ten get them actually saying the table to you. So that's a really simple way of just explaining how you would do, you know, seeing and then saying and then solidifying a maths concept. So again, you, you can do that. You can do that on Monday morning. Get yourself a maths, a maths um, graph paper maths book. And um, I, I just like a couple of the pages we use for twos, a couple of pages we use for threes. And we just, the kids, you know, they've always done this five minutes a day, get through those times tables. And it's a brilliant thing to go back on. And if they're ever struggling in a maths lesson, actually, and they, they're trying to figure out um, one of their times tables, I'll just say, grab your book. You've got them all in your book and have a look and make sure you're correct. And so, yeah. And again, that's a really simple tool that you can use. Um, so. I'm going to whiz through just some of the kind of core things that you might be helpful to remember. Uh, you, you know, remember, you can watch the replay on this in case you don't. It's not all going in because there's lots of information coming out. But first thing is, you know, when the children are younger, use concrete objects, use buttons and beads and beans and rocks. And, and then you're asking children to show you. So it's very physical and visual and verbal. You know, show me two rocks. Show me four rocks, show me six rocks. And it's very active. You're doing these things with them, they're hands-on, they're moving along the table. It's really, it's a wonderful way of just interacting with these early numeracy skills. And then another way of using language and oral skills around this um, can be giving them story problems. You know, if, uh, if Jackson had two apples and gave one to Christine, how many apples does he have left? You know, that kind of an idea. Um, use their use their friends' names, use the pets' names, use grandma's name, whatever it is you want to do um, to involve them into that. And then really you're moving forward then to more abstract thinking. You're kind of taking out all the stories and the rocks and you're basically, you know, two minus one equals and use the language, start to use the vocabulary, the numeracy vocabulary. And that really just is a really simple um, progression of what happens in numeracy skills. Um, I'm just looking at a question. Christine, am I correct in assuming that we wouldn't start this memorizing the timetables until they have fully grasped what multiplication actually is, what it looks like with objects? Yes, that's right, Christine. So you would do groups of with your beads and buttons. So you start with that. So have they grasped that if you've got two groups of two, and two, you know, you've actually got four Cheerios. If I've got three groups of two Cheerios, it, I've got six all together. And yeah, once they, so groups is the word they're grasping before you move on to multiplication. Um, yes, good question, Christine. Thank you for that. Okay, so, so most important thing, one of the most important things like we've been saying our whole evening here is move at the pace of the child. Um, there's no rush, there's no race. And once they've grasped something, then you celebrate and, and encourage and then move on to the next thing. Don't worry if you're thinking, gosh, I feel like this is taking ages. It might just take ages. <laughs> Sometimes it takes ages for me to learn things. But actually, when they're there, it, it lays a foundation for other things to grow upon. And that's the beauty of literacy and numeracy is that it's like a snowball effect. And you don't it, you you don't undo it, you know, once you've grasped that. Sometimes we forget equations and we forget how to do long division. I mean, I do. Um, but actually the basics of it, you just build upon it and you keep practicing, you know, keep using it and it stays stronger. Um, so, you know, as soon as they've, when they fully understand one thing, you move on to the rest. Don't rush that process because otherwise it can cause um, them to go back or to delay just keep keep moving forward once they've grasped the next thing 
Again, like with literacy, and this is a theme throughout the philosophy, paying attention and focus is really, really important. And that's why we keep the lessons short. So short lessons, the habit of attention are really important in maths and numeracy. So, you know, don't spend ages and ages and ages. That's why children start to get really bored and they don't like it anymore. And they're like, oh, this, we have to do maths today. Um, then you just, you know, quick quick lesson make it happy and joyful <laughs> you know use those manipulatives if you need to again even if they're 12 years old and um but short lessons paying attention encouraging the growth that's happened encouraging the understanding and then moving on and i find as well when my children get frustrated at their own um lack what they would say like oh I just don't get this or I've got that wrong again I'll just be saying okay let's go back and let's look at what you have grasped so let's just see okay so you know this bit yep right you understand this bit yes okay that's fantastic right how do we build upon that always finding ways to to nurture encourage growth even if they don't get what they're what they're learning there and then and and if I see frustration and tiredness I'll get okay that's pause we'll pause there and we'll come back to it tomorrow um before the tears come i never liked tears over maths <laughs> I don't, mine and theirs we uh, you know move on before they come absolutely that's time for a hot chocolate <laughs> okay so attention and focus required um you know, engaging all the senses are really, a really brilliant thing to do as well. Is like the touching and can they are they are they hearing your voice in this? Are they seeing it? Um, I mean, if you want to use food, that's great as well. We've already mentioned Cheerios, but you could, you know, if you've got grapes out on the table. Um, okay, we've got ten grapes. You're allowed to eat three. How many have we got left? Do whatever you need to do to engage those senses and really make that an enjoyable experience when they're beginning to understand what literacy is. And as we've already um, uh, talked about as well, again, the theme throughout the whole of the Charlotte Mason philosophy is ask the child to tell you back what they've learned. And even if it's the simplest form, you know, and that, and don't wait until they're exhausted to do that and you've pushed it so far. If your lessons are intentional and consistent and short, there hopefully will be a moment when you can say, hey, what have you learned? Um, why don't you te teach this little simple task to me? I know, and the last, I think the last time I did that was a couple of days ago with my, my youngest daughter. And I could see the, the 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 ball drop, as it were, as she taught it to me. It was like, ah, oh, I've got it. I, I've understood it. The decoding has happened. Um, we've talked through the the simple the tool of doing a multiplication table. You can really use those kind of visualizations, saying seeing it, saying it, solidifying with lots of different things. Again, have a good Google, have a good search. Um, a really brilliant place for understanding specifically the Charlotte Mason philosophy around maths. Um, I think I've told you guys this quite a few times now on these workshops, but Rochelle Braberina is, she is the author of the Simply Charlotte Mason maths books. Um, I've seen one of them. I've not actually used it because I discovered it quite late in my, in my Charlotte Mason journey, but she is a brilliant researcher and writer about, specifically about um maths throughout the philosophy she finds articles in the pneu and parents review and anyway go on to charlotte mason poetry and um have a look type in maths in the search bar or math actually and you'll find lots of lovely things to read over there just to really embed what we're learning here together this evening um so you know just to finish off from this numeracy part um you will see lots of overlap. So there are lots of wonderful mathematical concepts that you can teach alongside nature study. Um, you know, if you're looking at Fibonacci stuff, if you're looking at, I mean, I was looking, somebody had been posting on Instagram today and they were looking at ferns and all these lovely things and tying it together with their maths lesson. And it's fantastic. Again, there are lots of books that will help you understand maths in science, in nature, Again, a bit of a Google search, a bit of a search on what, wherever you buy your books from, um, type in those words and you'll, it'll, you'll come up with lots of different ideas around that. And so often what I would do if I, you know, as my children are getting older and they do use a program that I use for our use, um, 
alongside that, I will often teach maths concepts, either through nature, through a science lesson, through geography. Um, I would do something creative and artistic with them. I mean, even looking at a piece of art, often uh, if you look at something like Da Vinci's um, Last Supper and you look at um, why he did what he did, you know, if you, I, I'm trying to remember if I, I think I just searched for some more information and it came up with this, but the lines, you know, the, the, the measurements and the specific way that he repainted that was very specific, mathematically specific. And you often find that in art as well. Again, so there's so much crossover, not that you need to tell your kids that, oh, this is a math lesson and an art lesson, but you know, for you, you know, our children are grasping these concepts in so many different ways. It's not just about, that 15 minute program that you do, you know, at 10 o'clock on a Monday to Friday. It's actually all around us all the time. Okay. It is, we have almost gone for two hours. I can't believe it, Christine. How did we get this far? <laughs> do I say that every time? I think I do, don't I? Yes. How did I talk for this long? Okay. Are there any, any other questions before I wrap up here, guys? And then there's tons of stuff there. I feel like I could go into even more detail but I am going to resource you with other things in the replay email when that comes out to you I will add lots of bits and pieces for you to help to help you with this um but if there are any other questions pop them in the comments now otherwise I'm going to wrap up and let you get on with your day or your evening and um yeah I can't see anything else in there just I'll give you a minute in case anything else you want to say or add thank you Danielle so the few things that I just want to remind you of is you know these are the things that I want to kind of the things that I would stick up around me is that the sole end of education is growth not fast growth not the same growth as everybody else but just growth is there some kind of movement happening? You know, can you see things growing? And also Charlotte Mason really stressed this, this large space, this large room that our children are in. It's not about what, in the end, it's not about what they know, but it's about how much they care. So how can we cultivate growth and care in this liberal education with the Charlotte Mason philosophy? And especially as we've been talking about tonight, how do I cultivate growth and care within the the subjects you know within within literacy and numeracy as a foundation in the philosophy and that's a good question you guys can come up with those things too you know you're creative how does this look every day in our homes and remember there's no race your children are not up against anybody else go at their pace watch watch what you're doing watch how they're growing be encouraged encourage them be their nurturer and be a resourceful person around them that uses what is around to help them grasp the concepts and celebrate when they do it's so fun when you see the penny drop with a child when they decode reading or they suddenly understand a maths concept it should be something to celebrate so um, I hope that's been helpful. It's been wonderful spending the evening with you all again. Thank you for all your comments in the chat and thank you for all you watching on the replay. Mm -hmm.